This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pray. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And real quick before we dive into this Friday, January 17th episode, want to remind you guys – Jump on DuckTerritory.com and get yourself a VIP membership if you haven't already. And if you haven't, why not? Your first month is $1. That's all it costs to get in for your first month. After that, it's $9.95. You get inside scoop. You get expert analysis. You get to read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network. You get access to guys like me, Eric, Kevin, Greg, Brandon, Steve, Blair. The list goes on and on. No one has the Rolodex that we have of recruiting insiders, Oregon insiders, uh, exclusive recruiting coverage. Uh, Poly Bowl is going on right now. We're the only network that's got three people out there for that game, which features seven Oregon Ducks. And, oh, by the way, when your $1 for your first month ends and you shift into paying the regular price of nine ninety five, you get CBS All Access for free. That's 10000 live TV Movies, sports, all commercial free with your membership at DuckTerritory.com. So jump in now if you haven't, and if if you have, thank you. Keep keep coming, man. Uh, Eric, all right, Friday show. Um, lot to digest in this one because we've got a lot of football news, we got a lot of basketball news, we've got recruiting news. Uh, and we were talking about what do we want to talk about, and it's like I'm sitting here writing down these topics, and all of a sudden it's like, dude, if we talk about all of this stuff, it's going to be a, a, almost an hour and a half, two-hour podcast. Which which is why we are wisely splitting some of this up for a later <laughs> podcast. Um, but, yeah, no, there's so much going on right now, and I, it's funny because I was talking to some of the reporters uh, at, at last night's women's basketball game who were, who were there as well about how, Oh, I thought football ended and things were slowing down, and yet this has been one of the more busy weeks we've had um, in a while with with some of these games, with a lot of news coming out, with, you know, with the NFL decisions, with the Moorhead news, with uh, the schedule being announced, with the spring game date being announced, all of this stuff just coming out, with, with softball starting to practice, uh, which there'll be some coverage on the site for that as well coming up here. Um, it, it is it is just a busy time right now, um, but a yeah, really NFL exciting decisions time. decisions were, were four days ago. Like, how far away does that feel? <laughs> it feel? Yeah, it feels like that was six weeks ago. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's hard to keep up almost right now because stuff is coming almost every day. So, yeah, keep at it on DuckTerritory.com. Um, but from a podcast perspective, we're going to split this up a little bit just because, like Matt says, we would have been on here for a marathon, couple-hour podcast uh, talking about all of this stuff. All right, so let's dive into the Joe Moorhead stuff. He still has not been announced yet. Um why? I mean, we, I've, I've been told an agreement's been made. Everyone else has been told, has reported on this. Agreement's been made. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any feeling from a negative perspective of that this could fall through, but yet here we are three or four days since the announcement that, or the report from Brett McMurphy, the first one, 
that Joe Moorhead is going to become the new offensive coordinator, and yet no hire has been made, uh, made official at least. Um, why is that? I can tell you right now, Cristobal hasn't been in Eugene. Like, he was in o- Omaha for the Outland Trophy presentation for Panay Sewell during, the, I think, Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Wednesday, he flew to Seattle for uh, the Joe Morris presentation, trophy, banquet, whatever you want to call it, uh, which is given out to the best offensive and defensive linemen in the Pac-12, which is voted by uh, players in the conference. And that, again, went to Panay Sewell. So, uh, Crystal Ball has kind of been on a, I guess, mini awards tour this week. Now, you could argue, oh, why didn't they just send the contract to, you know, Seattle when he gets there and they could sign and whatnot and da 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 da. But I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of that, but I, I think that's part of the reason why. Uh, and then also, I certainly think that there's going to be, you know, probably some negotiating that's still having to, to get ironed out, whether it's, pay or whether it's full control of, of the staff or I, I don't know, it, you know, and plus there's the stuff that comes from his time at Mississippi State. So these things are going to get worked out. It hasn't been as of 9.13 a.m. on January 17th been announced by Oregon, but Eric, I don't know if, if you feel this way or not. I, I feel pretty confident in saying that it's going to get announced here the next couple of days at the latest uh, because recruiting has now started. Yeah, and I think anybody who's gone through a contract negotiation, and Matt and I know this from our time working here, sometimes you make an agreement and it takes some time to get the paperwork finalized to go over a couple of different clauses here or there. So it makes sense that this is taking a couple of days, maybe maybe a little bit longer than that. I know fans get anxious you know, with every passing day going, oh, did something fall through? What's wrong? Uh, but you bring up good points about Cristobal also not being in town, and so maybe we should really be blaming Penny Sewell. <laughs> uh, for being so darn good at football that they can't get Cristobal to stay in town uh, because he's at all these award shows. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I don't think there should be too much concern. I will say this. Now, if we're recording a podcast a week from now on a Friday, on next Friday, and Joe Moore, yeah, then, then you can really start being like, this has gone on for, like, ten days. This is weird. Like, what's the deal? What's the holdup? But, um you know, as long, as long as this is something that, you know, is dealt with and, and finalized in the next week or so, in the next maybe maybe sometime next week, uh, early on in the week, I think you feel pretty good. I, I just think be patient with it and, and kind of trust that uh, Oregon's got their guy locked down and, and we have not heard anything uh, that kind of leads you to believe it could go the other way. We also got some dates that were announced. Um Let's do spring football first since that comes first. Uh, Oregon has announced their spring game. Uh, that is set, uh, let me pull it up actually, April 18th, 2 p.m. Uh, <laughs> at, at Autzen Stadium. And um, if you believe John Canzano's reporting, and there's no reason why you shouldn't because he's been 100% on this, um, Gonzano is reporting in the Oregonian that, uh, in Oregon Live that the Pac-12 Networks is only going to uh, be broadcasting from a full perspective one spring game out of the Pac-12 this season. It's Oregon. Uh, all the the other 11 spring games are going to be uh, broadcast, you know, skeleton crew. The, the, the announcers are going to be remote, you know, remotely broadcasting from San Francisco. You know, very small, you know, limited camel angles and whatnot. I think that shows you the, the scope of A, the network, but B, yeah. the, the, I guess the interest level in Oregon, um, 
because they are the only school that that you know continually has 35 40,000 you know 45,000 fans show up for their spring game and it's truly a game like atmosphere and you know we're going to see the conference basically come out and and showcase Oregon unintentionally but that's what it's going to be uh across the you know across the conference I I wonder if you agree with this or not but I'm just thinking about this now this feels like the most highly anticipated spring game in a while too um because you have Justin Herbert leaving means which means that these new quarterbacks are going to be everyone's just focusing in on them and will want to watch them and see how they perform and then you also have uh Noah Sewell and Justin Flo who will be taking part as five-star recruits in that game and I think everyone's going to want to watch that you have a bunch of new offensive line positions that have to be refilled. You have a bunch of really talented guys coming back from last year's defense. Like I like Kayvon Thibodeau or Mikhail Wright, who everybody saw uh, play at such a high level. Um, you know, uh, this last year, he, he, what, what, how has he improved or how have they improved? How has the weight room changed them? I think there's going to be just a lot of anticipation for this year's spring game. So um, it makes sense why Pat Tove would be here for that in terms of, like, Hey, like there's just a lot to follow for for Oregon this year. A new offensive coordinator too, um, likely Joe Moorhead. Yeah, I, I think so, you're I mean, right. A lot on going that. on. <laughs> I, I I think you're right that this, this is going to be one of the more anticipated ones because I, I go back to when uh, Marcus Mariota was a, a redshirt freshman and he was or he had just completed his freshman year. So he was uh, Darren. They did they just won the Rose Bowl. Darren Thomas went pro. Uh, and it was, there was always, you know, always this hype throughout that season. Uh, and then especially after the year was over that, oh, there's this guy named Marcus Mariota. Now I don't, I'm not trying to say that Tyler Shuck is going to be the next coming of Marcus Mariota, but yeah, you're right in that there's going to be a lot of interest in, in terms of what's the new quarterback look like. You know, the, Oregon has had the same guy for the last four years at quarterback and the offseason the last three have basically been Oregon's in the best position in the conference and one of the best positions nationally from a pure starting standpoint. I mean, I think you could argue maybe a handful of schools had better quarterbacks on paper than what Oregon had the last four years or last three years at, at Oregon. So under Herbert, so that, yeah, there's going to be a ton of intrigue with, of that, and it wouldn't surprise me coming off a Rose Bowl if the weather's good yeah. and they make it a true game. There could be forty-five, forty-eight thousand fans at that game. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think. I mean, we're seeing it from a interest level on the website, and I think that oftentimes does show up. And you're right, the weather will play into it. Other things going on. Um, you know, that weekend, I don't know what other events there would be. That could kind of thing could impact it too. But I have to think this is going to be a, a, a weekend where Oregon fans are just flocking to Eugene. Those that are not in Eugene already are, are coming down to check this out because this is going to be, I think, a season as well. I mean, and we'll talk about the schedule in a second here where there's a ton of excitement about just seeing how this program, you know, I, I think with just the way it's elevated, just, you know, for a second here, there's just a lot more interest in general about what's going on in Eugene from a football perspective than there has been, obviously, in probably a handful of years. So I think that game is going to be the first example of that interest, and I, I think you're right. I think this could be a game where maybe you can get close to 50,000 fans in Eugene. Maybe that should be the challenge for the fan base, but um, certainly an exciting had, bit of news. But they had 35,000 in 2019. 
So going into this season, uh, they had they had thirty five thousand uh, at at their spring game. And I'm trying to think. I know. Uh, yeah. So in 2012, they had forty four thousand fans. In 2011, they had 43. I think there's a good chance that Oregon's spring game is kind of around that number. You know, low low 40s, high high 30,000s. Yeah. So that, that I think it, it, there's no reason why there shouldn't be a lot of fans going to this game. Um, and, and I think again, really an exciting opportunity to, to kind of see where everybody's at after after spring practice. All right, now the schedule has been released as well for the 2020 season um, for Oregon football. We know the dates, the locations. Uh, we're going to go super in-depth on this next week. Um, we'll go game by game, give you some early early thoughts on the schedule um, because that that's, that's something that, based off of our listeners and the discussion on the board, that uh, – Everyone likes when we go in depth, so we're not gonna we're not gonna combine all of this into one because this is this is how this podcast could grow to a two hour show if we wanted it to. Uh, quite honestly, I don't think you or I want to do a podcast for two hours, and I don't think our listeners are up for the appetite of a two hour podcast. Um, but real quick, your what what's let's do a teaser real quick for next week. One sure. thing that you that stood out to you about the 2020 schedule when you first saw it. I think this is going to be the best slate of home games at Autzen Stadium that I can remember in a really long time. Maybe the best that I've seen. I mean, you've got North Dakota State, the reigning FCS champions, three-time FCS champions. They haven't lost since 2017 coming. You have Ohio State. We all know, everybody knows what Ohio State represents. Hawaii is a very, very solid program. They won 10 games this last year. Washington, Stanford, USC, Arizona State. There is not a home game. Um, like we had this last year with Nevada and Montana, where it's kind of a, a gimme game, a game that there's not much interest. They should be selling out almost every single one of these games. These are really big games. I mean, you think about just the importance of, you know, in conference, the Washington rivalry, of, of the Stanford rivalry, of USC, and that how big of a program that is. And then Arizona State, which I think if Oregon had beaten Arizona State this last year, Duck fans maybe wouldn't have quite as much interest. But with the way that went down, that game is going to be one of the games that's really circled on the schedule. So, there are a ton of big-time football games at home this year and an opportunity for season ticket holders or maybe those in the fence for it. I think this is the year to jump in. I mean, it is a really, really good home schedule. I think for me, looking at, at the schedule, that the season kind of ends in a crappy way for an Oregon fan and an Oregon player perspective. Um, their last home game of the year is November 13th, so not even midway through the month of November. They play their final home game of the year, and it's played on a Friday night. Like, that kind of sucks. True. And then you have to go at Washington State. on. So they play th- on Friday the 13th huh, oh, uh, boy. against oh, Arizona no. State of all schools. Oh, 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 no, Matt. Arizona State <laughs> on Friday the 13th? Oh, no. That I just that maybe that dawned on me right there. That's not good. Uh, so a Friday night. Home game, senior day against Arizona State. That just blows midway through the, not even halfway through the month of November. And then eight days later, you have to go to Washington State. Playing in late November in Pullman is awful. Uh, and then you close out the year like you always do in the Civil War. And this is a road game. So you play back to back road games to end the year. One against an opponent that's given you fits basically 
the last five years. Uh, and then Oregon State, I think they're going to be improved next season. And then Arizona State, they've, they've been difficult two out of the last three years, all, all, all three years for Oregon. So I, I think the month of November, it's not the hardest in the conference for sure, but the month of November is going to be why Oregon is a playoff team in my mind or they're not a playoff team because USC on the seventh at home, Arizona State on a short week on a Friday, uh, and then at Washington State, and then at Oregon State, you know that's that's got potential landmines to it. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel here. Uh, jump in on the boards if you're not, uh, and get in on that discussion of the 2020 schedule. Uh, we just gave our early thoughts. We'll have a full podcast on that on Monday, so look for that to come out. We've also got the, the War Room, which is up, VIP scoop on the Oregon football program, a little bit more information on Joe Moorhead and what's going there. So get on the boards right now. If you can't, you can get on for $1. You can't beat that price. $1 gets you a VIP membership for your first 30 days. Now, uh, Eric, last night was a very unique situation from a basketball perspective. Um, because really for the first time in a long time, both the men and the women were playing at the exact same time, and both games were on national TV. The men were playing at Washington State, airing on Fox Sports 1. The women were playing at home against top five Stanford, top three Stanford, with the game being on ESPN. Um, and it was, I, I think, a night in which... There's a lot of storylines that we weren't expecting and a lot of storylines that we were expecting. And um, I think it's pretty cool for this setup where, look, I didn't see a single real minute of the women's game because I had to watch the men's game and I think vice versa for you. And so let's, this really presents an opportunity where like I'm completely, yeah, I know who won. I know, you know, Sabrina had a huge game, but like I couldn't tell you how it happened. I couldn't tell you the atmosphere. Uh and I can probably assume that's the same way for you for the men's side. Um let's start with the women because they were playing a top 3 team in Stanford and this felt like a game in which from an outsider's perspective like me where I look I I'm like the casual fan cuz I don't I don't cover this team because I'm covering the men. Um, 
I know enough where I can I can tell you that you know the the main stars for Oregon, but the nitty gritty stuff, you know, where I don't, you know, the difference between a fanatic and the casual fan is they don't know the nitty gritty, you know, the nitty gritty stuff, and that's that's me right now because I just don't have the time. This felt like, from an outside perspective, a game Oregon really, really needed to win. Let me start with saying this. Life's about choices, and if you chose to watch Washington State and Oregon play basketball last night on the men's side, you made the wrong choice because <laughs> Oregon and Stanford was just absolutely an electric atmosphere. Um, and I'm not blaming you, Matt, because unfortunately, based upon your uh, your occupational, uh, it's an <laughs> occupational hazard. You, you, had to, you had to watch the game. But I had a couple of friends of mine texting me, all, all in a bad mood last night because they'd watched the Washington State game, which we'll get to in a moment. It sounds like there's a lot of reasons for why they weren't in a very good mood. And I said, I'm, I'm doing okay over here because I just watched greatness because Sabrina Ionescu was absolutely it's, – it's the best individual performance I've seen on, on a basketball court live probably ever doing this. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. She was fantastic. And it was kind of a – I mean, look, I don't even know where to start. I mean, let's start with the, the game. Was the atmosphere was incredible? It was a sellout crowd. Um, you know, I posted on social media. Uh, you know, some of the you know, introductions and the crowd was just again, it was electric. It was effing awesome, as I said on Twitter. And Matt uh, scolded me for using bad language for children on a, <laughs> on a social media. Uh, but you know, it really we'll was. edit that part out too. We'll, 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 we'll edit that. You're right. I said effing, which is highly offensive, and I apologize for listeners who may have been offended. <laughs> if you're offended. Um, Earmuffs, uh, but yeah, no, it, but, the, but the atmosphere was truly remarkable, and the game was, you know, became that. Uh, Stanford really challenged Oregon, and Matt probably doesn't know this because he wasn't watching it, but Stanford actually led um, early on in the third quarter. <laughs> they, they scored- <laughs> yeah, you tell me when the score is eighty-seven to fifty-five that. Oregon trailed in the third quarter. I'd yeah. say you're crazy. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, and that's the you know the final was 87-55. So there's maybe I buried the lead. Oregon won by 32 points. Sabrina was awesome, but Stanford trailed by six at half, scored the first seven points of the third quarter, and then Oregon responds in about as dominant way as you possibly can, outscoring Stanford 31 to I think like I don't even know actually. My math's bad on that. No, it was more than that, but it was an absolute bloodletting from there and it was all Sabrina and she got it going in the second quarter she scored 15 points in the second 10 in the third and eight in the in the fourth quarter to finish with a career high 37 points we should mention one of her baskets in the third quarter I think her second to last in the third quarter broke the school all-time scoring record she passes Allison Lang um, to become the best scorer in program history she scored a lot more baskets in the fourth to to get even further up on that list but I mean this was really a, a, a you know again this was really a Sabrina game. Uh, you know, you can you can talk about how well Satu Sabli played. You can talk about the fact that Stanford turned it over 19 times and Oregon scored 22 points off of that. Um, you can talk about how Oregon was was just better, um, you know, offensively and defensively, basically for three quarters. But I think it all started with Sabrina, and she got it going, and she played angry, and she played fired up. And um, if you haven't had chances to watch uh, some of the post game or some of her emotion that she was showing as she was leaving the courts at, at various times. I mean, fired up the photo that our photographer, Gary Breedlove has after she hit a three, which she got her two, three fingers up on both sides and, and kind of has a, a smirk on her face. Uh, you know, this is kind of legendary stuff and the performance matched it. She was just fantastic. And it wasn't like she hit 14 of 26 shots and they were all easy shots. I mean, it was a lot of difficult shots in the lane. She hit five of 12 from three. Also had 11 rebounds and seven assists. Um, she was just incredible, and it was a truly awesome opportunity to, to get to watch a player of her caliber play um, 
against the team that, like I, we said, Stanford was had one loss all season. They came in ranked third nationally. Um, Oregon felt like they had a lot to prove after losing to Arizona State last week. And I think they came out and made a humongous statement. And this is now back-to-back years that Oregon can say that they've played Stanford during the regular season and just hammered them. You remember last year down in uh, at Stanford, Oregon won, I think, 88-48 to in another game where Sabrina played really well and they just dominated. This is a game that took a little bit longer to get there. I mean, really, the dominance only started over the last about 17, 18 minutes of the game. Um, it was pretty even until that point. But once it got going, Sabrina was just unstoppable, and, and, and it was just kind of everything flowed that way. It was truly awesome to watch. We were talking, I think, last week after they lost to ASU about how um, that could potentially maybe open the door for them to to not have the one seed in the West, and you know, and by why that's important is because the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight is being played in Portland, and. Yep. Uh, Oregon could unfortunately be sent to Dallas or the East Coast or whatever because, uh, you know, Oregon State, UCLA, Stanford, they're all very good and they're all very deserving of being in that discussion. And it felt like going into last week, Oregon kind of had a tight grip on that, but that grip kind of loosened after they lost at ASU. I'm, I'm curious just what the reaction nationally from a tournament perspective will be for this women's team because Look, they just beat the number three team in the country by 32 points. Like, and I think that's the only time we're going to play, right? Like, that's a huge win. No, they they play later this year down in the Bay. Okay. I'm pretty sure. One second, let me get that up here. I mean, because the schedule, and, and this is what I was going to even get into. So it's good I'm pulling the schedule up here just for, to remind me on some of the details. But like, it does. They, they have an opportunity to to play a lot of games. Yeah, Stanford on on February 24th on a Monday, which is just strange time for a game. But yeah, that's they play do play one more time. So Stanford will have a chance to kind of get a little bit of revenge if they're able to, to pull it off. But um o- Oregon I think now moves back into the driver's seat for that positioning. I, I don't think that shocks anybody in terms of to get that one seed. I think they can they're very, very much remain in that conversation. But it really does come down to how do they perform in these other games. And we talked about on the podcast earlier in the week about how, you know, they they still have in a week from now, they'll play Oregon State twice. And the Beavers are very, very good. They've lost one game all season, and that was just their most recent game to, to Arizona State. They then will go to Connecticut, another one of those top-tier teams that are currently slated to be, I think, the number one seed in Portland. Um, they then will host Arizona and Arizona State, two teams that are also going to be probably top five, six seeds in the tournament. They then go to UCLA, who is currently, uh, I think, unbeaten and a top five team nationally. They then... They then go to Stanford on the 24th uh, for another game. So, I mean, it is a loaded, and that doesn't even include the Pac-12 tournament, which is going to be an absolute bloodbath down in Las Vegas in early March. I mean, it is it is a absolute murderer's row. So while you celebrate this one, and this one was super impressive, and I'm sure this was a statement game, and you could tell there's a cool shot that Hayden Herrera um, from one of the local TV uh, affiliates posted of Sabrina saying, I'm mad now, or I'm angry now midway through the game to Stanford players when I think they were kind of chippy with her. Um, she played with that fire because I think she wanted to send a message to Stanford that, hey, we're still the top dogs. We might have lost to Arizona State. We might not you know, be projected to be the better team because Stanford came in with a better ranking, but she wanted to prove that this was the better team and that they're still the big dogs in this conference. And I think they did that last night, and now it's just, from my perspective, a matter of carrying that into the rest of the season because, like I said, it does not get easier from here. It gets more difficult, and they're going to be challenged week in and week out um, throughout Pac-12 play. 
All right. Now, on the flip side, <laughs> Thursday was a house of horror. Something about Pullman and top 10 teams from Oregon that have to go there. House of horrors, man. Like, it's it never works out well for Oregon, it seems like, when they're a top 10 team and they go to Pullman. And Thursday night in Pullman for the men's side, it was that, a house of horrors. Uh, Oregon led by three at the half, 37 to 34, and yet they could never really gain separation, uh, from the Cougars. And in the second half, Oregon played terrible. They scored just 24 points. They got outscored by 14, uh, in that game. And, uh, they missed four of their last five shots. They committed two turnovers in the final few minutes of that game. Washington State pulled away and won 72 to 61. And, Look, there's no way you can't put lipstick on a pig. This is a this is a bad loss. It's an ugly loss. It's an embarrassing loss. Uh, I'm sure Altman lit up his team uh, in that game because they obviously Altman even said it himself on Tuesday that for whatever reason his teams in the past have had difficult times playing in Pullman, uh, and he, he noted you know the low crowds can play a factor in it and just you know the, the Whatever it is, they've just never been able to play well. And that was the case once again because uh, they were heavily favored. Uh, they went into that game and there was a low – Just a, you you described the, the atmosphere at, at Matt Nine Arena uh, for the women's side on Thursday. It was the complete opposite uh, up in Pullman because there was no one there. I mean there there was no crowd. There was no atmosphere that you had to worry about. It was dead quiet. You could hear a mouse move. Uh, and, and CJ Ellaby, their star sophomore forward, 25 points. He had 11 rebounds, 14 rebounds, excuse me, and three assists. Uh, the Cougars as a team made 52% of their three pointers, making 11 out of 21. Uh, Oregon shot seven of 21 from three. Uh, only two players scored in double figures for the Ducks. Uh, Peyton Pritchard had 22 points, five assists, five rebounds, but he did have six turnovers. Uh, Chris Duarte was the only other player in double figures with 15. And look, it was bad. It was ugly. It was not good. But it's one of 18 in the conference. <laughs> and that's the way I look at it. And it's not good. They certainly need to wake up and understand that they're going to be the best team in the conference and they're going to get the best, you know, out of every team they play uh, because of that. And they have to be ready to play. But it's one of 18. And if this trend continues where, you know, they're losing games and it's ugly, then yeah, you can start getting worried. But let's see what happens on Saturday afternoon when they go to Seattle and play a Washington team, uh, how they fare there. They may lose that one too. And I, and I still may not change my stance that things are going to be okay for this team, depending on how it plays out. But I don't think it's time to pump the brakes and freak out. Okay. Uh, the 11 for 21 from three for Washington State. Uh, that stands out, and I and I I won't say I watched much of the game, but there was a a screen that was open that was a that had the game on right in front of the row, in front of where I was seating on media row, and so I did catch a couple glimpses. And it seemed like every time I looked up from your perspective, you watched and probably saw all twenty one of them. I probably saw six of them. D- did it feel like that was poor defense, or was this just Washington State shooting out of its mind? Both. Both. Yeah. It was the worst combination. Like, Oregon had some really bad defensive rotations. 
uh, in that game and guys were open. But then you also had guys who just don't make three pointers were knocking them down, you know, like, and, and on top of that, this is what's so crazy is Washington State had three guys out with injuries. Like, uh, Gervais Robinson, a senior guard that started average, averaging 4.6 points per game this season, shooting 23%, uh, 20, excuse me, 27% on three pointers this year. Okay. He, he made two of three three pointers against, against the Ducks. Uh, they had another, uh, a sophomore, Aljaz Kunk. Uh, a guy that's shooting 35%. He made, you know, he made 67% of his threes, two of three, uh, in that game, uh, a six, eight forward. And then you had, um, DJ Robin, Dennis Robin's son, a freshman, a guy that's, you know, a decent three point shooter, 31%, not the greatest. He made two three pointers in this game. And so it was guys that they were making their threes that typically don't make them. And you combine that with a guy like C.J. Ellaby who went four of seven from three-point land, and that's where I think the defense is, is struggling is, you know, Oregon has always seemed to have that defensive stopper. Like last season it was Kenny Wooten and Francis Okoro to a degree, and Ihab Amin on the perimeter. Like Oregon do, like, hey, on the perimeter, throw out Ihab Amin on whoever's best player it is. He'll lock that guy down, and then – Kenny Wooten for the last two seasons will guard the team's best interior guy and do a good job. And before that, it was Jordan Bell, uh, it was Chris Boucher, uh, and it was Dylan Ennis. And, you know, you can go down the list. You know, Elgin cooked it before that, along with Bell and Boucher. Uh, and Oregon just doesn't seem to have that intense and lockdown defender. I think Chris Duarte could get there. I mean, he had five steals uh, against Washington State, but it was a combination of bad defense and guys uh, that you shouldn't allow get open, like a C.J. Ellaby getting open, and then it was also you know some of their you know role players playing out having out of body of experiences, you know, making some shots that typically don't make. And, and in terms of the NCAA tournament. And, and this program obviously has an incredible resume with the wins that they've had to this point. Does, does this a thing where, do you think this could cost them like a seed line? I, I don't, I don't know everything about Washington State. Another record, they're 11 and 7 or 2 and 3 in Pac 12 play. That's not the most embarrassing, but I assume this is a pretty bad loss in terms of like the net rating and all of that. How, how has this loss potentially hurt them? And do you think this could be something where if it comes down to, you know, in March of, okay, are they a two-seed or a three-seed or a four or a five? Could this be something that you think could could kind of downgrade them one line? Yeah, it's going to hurt them. Like, I, I think it's going to be probably the difference in them getting a one or a two. Um, one, because I don't think Gonzaga and San Diego State are going to lose a lot the rest of the way. You know, they may, they may lose twice between them, you know, but by the time the NCAA tournament comes. And so your chances at surpassing one of those schools to become a one seed is going to be pretty difficult now. Uh, you're basically going to have to go out and win out and hope that those two schools can lose a couple times to open the door for you. I mean, Washington State was 125th in the net rankings last uh, going into the Washington State-Oregon game. So like, the Pac-12 isn't as bad as it was. And the, bot- and the reason why the conference is 
is doing so well is because the bottom feeders of the conference, they're not in the 200s. They're not in the, you know, the high 100s anymore. Washington State now, after beating Oregon, is 108th in the net rankings. You know, they're almost in the top 100, which, like, from a talent perspective, yeah, it's a darn right embarrassing loss for Oregon because they are by far the better team on paper. But from a ranking perspective, or, you know, Washington State's 108th, and that's it's not the worst that's out there. It certainly isn't, you know, the best uh, that, that you know that, that you can be okay with. But it's still not terrible. But it's look, it's still an embarrassing loss. Um, <laughs> but in terms of where it, it impacts the seating line, like a couple bracket projections have come out. Friday morning, Oregon's still a two seed, Oregon's still a three seed, Oregon's still a four seed. That's kind of where they're at. Like, if they lose a couple more times, they're probably going to be a four or five. If they only lose one or twice the rest of the way and, and they finish conference play 14 and four or 15 and three and they, they make it to the tournament championship game or whatnot, then Oregon could be a two or a three seed. Um, and you know, look, they're still going to be on the West Coast as long as they stay I think in the top four with top four seeds, one, two, three, four on the West, uh, that's where they're going to get placed, I think. Uh, and you know, maybe if they lose the conference, uh, and you know, someone like Arizona or Colorado or, or Stanford for that matter, um, they could maybe swoop up and, and get the, you know, the top seed out of the Pac-12 out, out West. I don't think it's in Oregon's favor. And look, they've got games coming up still on the schedule where, uh, Washington, um, they beat they beat Oregon State last last night pretty handily. Uh, they're 45th in the in, in the NCAA net rankings right now. That's going to be a quad one game for Oregon if they can get that win. They've got a game against Stanford in a couple weeks, uh, and Stanford's ninth in the in the net rankings. So you know and that's on the road too. That's going to be a huge game. And Stanford has to come to Oregon later on. They still have to play at Arizona, which is 15th in the net rankings. So there's still going to be a ton of opportunities for Oregon to get quad one wins. They still have five, which is pretty darn impressive. Um, and if, if Oregon can get, you know, four or five more, which I think number I counted it last night, but I think the number was like seven or eight. If they can get five or six of those, you know, quad one chances as wins, yeah, they're going to be a two or a three seed in the West. What, what about this weekend's game here? Cause on, on the women's side, I'll just say, um, Cal has not won a game in Pac-12 play. Um, Oregon plays them at home. I, unless Oregon has a total meltdown and a letdown game, I think you can expect the Ducks to win that one by a significant margin, but it is a little bit different. Like you just said, Washington's a quad one team. It's on the road. They've so, seemed to kind of right the ship after the quad a green, uh, academic ineligibility news that we got here, I think, about a week or two ago. Um, what's kind of your outlook for, for this one? And, and it seems to me like that's a really crucial game for them to kind of get back on track. Yeah, it's huge. You know, like, the reality is teams that win their conferences, teams that go out and win uh, deep into March, they're ones that split on the road and oftentimes sweep on the road a couple times throughout the year. And so, you were hoping that you would beat Washington State and go into a Seattle game thinking, all right, if if Oregon loses at Washington, you no, know, it's a good team on on their floor. 
It is what it is. Get a, get a win though. You've swept the, the, the Washington schools. You're only playing them once this season. Uh, now that you don't have that opportunity for a sweep, this is monumental because look, averages will play out. The Cougars won't be in the top, uh, two or three, four spots in, in, in league play come March. And Washington though could. And you only play them once. So you need to get this win because you don't want to be stuck behind them by a game. You don't want to be stuck, uh, with, you know, equal with them at the end of the year with the same record, yet they beat you and have the tiebreaker. So this is one of those situations where it, it could become a really, really big game, uh, from a seeding perspective for the tournament and from a standings perspective, uh, for Oregon down the road. Certainly some interesting stuff on the hardwood going on here. And, uh, and again, we'll talk more football. Uh, next week. Yeah, absolutely. We got a lot going on on that one. Uh, we'll, we'll break down more in depth of the Joe Moorhead situation. We've got the schedule that we're going to go in depth on on Monday. So keep a lookout for that one. We've got some ideas on trap games and potential outcomes and we'll make our early season predictions on those. Uh, we've also got recruiting that's going on, dead periods lifted. Uh, so we'll have some updates there as well. So, uh, make sure you get on DuckTerritory.com, read all the stuff, join in on the discussion. And if you can't, why have you not? Because all it costs is $1. Uh, jump in, $1 gets you onto the site for your first 30 days. After that, $9.95. But the caveat is when you go to full price, you also get CBS All Access, which is a $100 value because you get 10,000 live TV, movies, sports, uh, the NFL, uh, SEC, all of that comes with your CBS All Access membership, which you get for free by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. So get on it. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.